Well, good morning. If I haven't met you before, my name's Kurt. I'm one of the pastors of Wild Street. Uh, we're going to look at that incredible story. Uh, it's an intimidating story um, because it's such a good one. I feel like I don't want to get in the way of how great it is. You know, I don't want to come up and stuff it. It's like uh, one of your kids retelling a story of what happened in the family. You listen to them tell the story, you think, you're stuffing it. Stop saying it like that. I don't want to stuff the story today. Um, so I'm going to ask God to help us uh, hear what he's saying through this incredible account. Let me pray. Father God, we just want to praise you and thank you for the chance to sit under your word this morning and hear this incredible account of, the, of, of Saul um, becoming changed and transformed by meeting Jesus. And so bless our time this morning. Uh, help us to be changed as a consequence. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you got a friend. They come up to you and there's something different about them. There's a spring in their step. There's a smile on their face. There's a bit of a focus to the way they're doing things. Um, they seem more positive than normal. And so you look at them and think, what happened, what happened to you? What happened to you? Something's happened. What happened to you? And they look at you and say, I met someone. I met someone. I wonder, have you ever met someone? Uh, not necessarily a, a boy or a girl, uh, a boyfriend or girlfriend. Could be a teacher. It could be a, a new friend. It could be an inspiring work colleague. Have you ever met someone that has completely changed the way you do things? Well, tonight we read a story, or this morning we read a story, about a man whose life was changed, radically unchanged, by an encounter with someone, by meeting someone, a, a someone named Jesus, who, who we're going to find out does not just change the lives of religious zealots living 2,000 years ago, but is actually someone who is alive today who has the capacity to change your life right now, this morning. And so if you're with us online, if you're with us in person, that's been my prayer all week. That the Jesus, the resurrected Jesus that changed Paul would be the same Jesus that changes your life. This last term, if you've been with us, we've been looking at the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is the sequel to Luke. Uh, Luke gives you the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Acts picks it up about 40 days after his resurrection. Uh, Jesus goes up to be with his heavenly Father, uh, and he says to the disciples before he goes, hang around, and the Holy Spirit is going to come to you and enable you to speak about me, that that I'm risen from the dead, speak about me to people, enable you to witness. Acts chapter 2, we saw the Holy Spirit come down, and they were able to declare that Jesus has risen from the dead. And as people hear the message about Jesus, there's just an explosion. Uh, People become followers of Jesus. Uh, They start gathering together to learn the teachings of Jesus, to live like Jesus amongst each other. There's this Jesus explosion, this massive movement around this epicenter in Jerusalem. But as the message explodes, there's opposition to the message. In chapters 3, 4, and 5, the followers of Jesus are beaten, they're imprisoned, and they're told not to speak to anyone. And all this opposition comes to a climax we saw in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is speaking about Jesus, and as a consequence, he is stoned. Now, you think at the end of that, that would kind of bring an end to the message. You know, no one wants to get killed for saying Jesus risen from the dead. But in chapter 8, we see it just keeps going. And so as there's persecution in Jerusalem, the people scatter from Jerusalem, and as they go out, they continue speaking about Jesus. 
And so the message goes to Samaria. And then it goes to Ethiopian eunuch who takes it to the ends of the earth. But chapter 9 takes us back to Jerusalem, to where the persecution continues. And so we meet this devout Jewish teacher named Saul. Uh, Saul was the one who oversaw the execution of Stephen. And uh, it says that they laid their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul. Now, why they laid their cloaks is so that as they stoned Stephen, they, they'd be able to get a better swing, you know, and then just take up your cloaks so and get a good... And so Stephen, uh, sorry, Saul in this image in, uh, is, is this, he's almost like the emperor in Star Wars. He's not the one throwing the stones. He's the one behind it all. He's the mastermind. So he's sitting there, ha, 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 you know, that, that sort of thing. And so you have Saul... This one in chapter, uh, chapter 9 who is going now, he's like Darth Vader now, he's going house to house, ripping people out of their houses in Jerusalem and imprisoning them for, for saying Jesus is the Christ. And so at this point in Acts, the greatest threat to the Christian church, to the followers of Jesus, is Saul. And what we're going to see is that God takes in chapter 9 the greatest threat and makes him the greatest asset to the gospel going forward. Today we read the account of Saul meeting Jesus, an encounter which changed him, and what we're going to see change the world as well. So what we're going to do is I'm going to do the I'm going to do like reality television. You know, you get the before and after shot. I'm going to give you the before shot. I'm going to give the after shot of Paul or Saul, and then I'm going to tell you what happened in the middle. We're going to look through what happened in the middle in detail. So firstly, before. Pick it up with me, chapter 9, verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay, so I'm going with the Star Wars thing today. He's, he's a bounty hunter, maybe like Boba Fett. Uh, he's like this bounty hunter, and he's, been sent, he's gone out to capture Christians in another city and bring them back to stand trial. So they might have been Christians who sent out, who were scattered from Jerusalem, to bring them back to trial in Jerusalem. Now, it's easy to think uh, Saul had kind of gone rogue here. He was like a religious extremist, religious terrorist. But from Saul's perspective, the Christians speaking about Jesus were the greatest threat to the true worship of Yahweh. They were the greatest threat to the, to, in a sense, the, the, to the true religion, the true God. But in reality, he is the greatest threat to the church. <laughs> and so what we're supposed to see here at the beginning of chapter 9 is that Saul is the most unlikely convert. He's not hanging around as a spiritual seeker looking to find a religion to follow. He thinks that Christians are evil. He thinks that Christians, because of the claim they're making about Jesus, deserve to die. He is the most unlikely convert. That's before, now after. So verse 19. For some days he, that Saul, was with the disciples of, Je- the disciples of Jesus at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? This is, that's a massive, it's a massive reversal. Saul has become 
like the very people he is trying to extinguish, to eradicate. He's declaring here, Jesus is the Son of God. And the people are amazed, obviously. Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. You go back to chapter 7, and what does it say about Stephen? It says that as he spoke, he confounded the Jews with his wisdom. Jews wanted to kill Stephen. Now they want to kill Saul. Now, in this circumstance, Stephen was stoned. Saul manages to escape. They put him through a hole in the wall. And then he goes to Caesarea, it says, and then he goes up to Tarsus, which is his hometown, and he stays there for quite a while. And then he makes his way back to Jerusalem. As he arrives in Jerusalem, you can imagine the Christians are a little bit concerned. Here is the guy who wanted to... He, he was there sitting at the feet while they stoned Stephen. You know, he was obviously against Christians, so they find it difficult to accept him as a believer. Uh, but eventually they do. Verse 28, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Can, can you see? It's the asymmetry here. It's before he's entering house to house, what to do? To drag people off into prison for believing Jesus the Christ. Now he's going house to house, to tell people Jesus is the Christ. Verse 29, And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Chapter 7, who was Stephen having, having an argument with? He was having an argument with the Hellenists. Now Paul is against the Hellenists. Saul has become Stephen. Saul has become Stephen. So I'm going to keep going between Saul and Paul. It's just hard. The same person, by the way. Saul has become Stephen. Now, by anyone's estimation, this is a radical transformation. It's it's a bigger transformation. You know when someone uh, gets a... it's, It's bigger than the idea when someone gets a new girlfriend and they suddenly become a vegan. Have you ever met people? You know? How come you're a vegan? Oh, I've always liked vegetables. You know? <laughs> or, or it's bigger than um, uh, someone getting a new boyfriend and all of a sudden they're like rugby league. They're, watching, they're going to rugby league games. And they say, have you ever been to rugby league? Yeah, yeah, I've always, I've always thought it was a good sport. It's bigger than that. This guy becomes what he hates the most. He becomes what he thinks is most, is most wrong. And so it has to make you ask, what happened? <laughs> what happened? And that's what the people asked back there. They was like, what happened to this guy? Isn't he, isn't, he this, isn't, he the, isn't he this guy? But now he's this guy. What could bring a change like that? And simply put, we're going to see what happened to Saul. He met Jesus. Saul met Jesus. So let's take a look. So uh, we're going back in the story here. He's got the letters from the leaders in Damascus to uh, leaders in Jerusalem to go to Damascus to imprison Christians. Verse three. He's on the way now. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. A light throughout the Old Testament is, is symbolic of God's presence. So he's some sort of God's presence. Verse four. And falling to the ground, he heard a vo- voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And he said, who are you, Lord? See, Saul knew who he was going to persecute. He was going to persecute the Christians, he was the followers of Jesus. Yet this, this figure of light claims that he is persecuting him. Now, Saul says, 
who are you, Lord? Now, that could indicate that he's thinking, this is Jesus, order and made that identification. It's probably more likely that he's just thinking, this is some sort of divine being, this is some sort of God being, and he doesn't know who it is. Verse 5, and he said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Have you ever thought you are 100% right and been 100% wrong? <laughs> it could be a trivial thing, all right? You know those times where you are convinced you put the keys on the hook, all right? And you go around the house and you start having to go with the kids. You have a go, possibly your, your, your spouse, and you say, where did you put the keys? Someone's moved the keys. Where are those keys? I put them on the hook. And then one of your kids is at the door and they say, Dad, your keys are in the door. So it's a little thing. You think you're 100% right, you're 100% wrong. That's a little thing. You can laugh at that. But what about when you believe something is 100% right that is completely foundation, foundational for you as a human being? You're, in a sense, your whole life is is kind of driven by it, and then you find out that's 100% wrong. It's a lie. I thought about this week. What are some comparisons? One of them I thought was this. What about when a wife finds out that her husband has another wife? Lives a double life. She has this belief, this is 100% right. He is, my, he is my husband. Then all of a sudden, that, your whole life is turned upside down. What about a parent who thinks that, uh, a husband who thinks the child that he's raised is his and then all of a sudden he finds out that his wife had had an affair and the child is not his? It, those sorts of revelations completely sh turn a person upside down. That is the sort of revelation Paul is having here. Saul thinks his whole life, everything about his person, Saul was not a Sunday Christian or a Saturday Jew or whatever you want to call him. He didn't just rock up one time a week and just say, oh, I've done my bit, then I'll go and live my life and do my thing. No, every single part of his life was devoted. He was the most zealous of them all. And yet all of a sudden, he's told in a moment that he's completely wrong. He's completely wrong. He's opposing God. But notice what Saul says. He says, uh, sorry, Jesus says to say, he says, you're persecuting me. That's helpful to remember. As we said right through the book of Acts, this is not the Acts of the Apostles. This is the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles. And so it's as Saul was persecuting the church that he was persecuting the work of Jesus. Saul thought he was 100% right, but he was 100% wrong. And so Jesus continues speaking to him. He says, But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although... So this is interesting. Uh, Saul's transformation doesn't happen straight away. Have you ever wondered that? Uh, why didn't Jesus come down? You know, he's got the whole resurrected Jesus look. Uh, encounter Saul on the road. Say, hey, I actually am the Christ. Go and speak about me. Why this whole rigmarole with blinding him for three days? He has to go. He goes to a person's house. Someone else gets a dream, comes to him, and heals him, and then speaks the words of Jesus to him. Why? Well, 
Whenever things like this happen in the scriptures, it, it's intentional. It's not just, uh, it's, yeah, it's intentional. There's significance to it. And so as I re- reflected with others this week and chatted about the significance, I think there's three things I can draw from it. Firstly, the, there is significance in the fact that he's made blind. And I think it's purely this, because Saul thought he could see. That was Saul's problem. He thought he could see clearly. He thought Jesus and his followers were the greatest threat to the true worship of God. He thought he could see that rightly, that, that, that his imprisoning those people honoured God. But the reality was he was blind. He was blind. And so what did God do? God gave him a physical experience of his spiritual problem. He was spiritually blind. Secondly, I think it's also significant he's blind for three days. If you go back into the Old Testament, you have the story of Jonah, who is in in the belly of a fish, who's called to be a preacher, but um, he ends up in the belly of a fish for three days as a kind of a picture of of death. And then as you hear about the Lord Jesus, he he talks also about Jonah being in the belly of a fish for three days, and he uses that to talk about being dead for three days between his death and resurrection. And so here, I think, this idea of three days being blind is this picture of Saul physically experiencing entering into Jesus' death. That the old Saul and all the ways he lived, all the things he, all the things he thought were right, had to die with Jesus to live this new life. Third, what happens in the story? Someone comes to speak to him about Jesus. And so how it goes is this. Ananias, he's a follower of Jesus. He's told the vision to go to the house of Saul on Straight Street. Uh, the place Saul is saying is Ananias expresses reservations about that because he knows Saul is the one that's against Christians. Uh, God convinces him, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God's saying, he's saying, the one who is causing the most suffering to the church now will be the one who suffers for the church. The one causing the most suffering to the church will suffer for the church. Saul would be the one who would take the message of Jesus beyond the Jewish people to the Gentiles, to those people throughout, everyone throughout the world. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you. Like I said, Jesus could have come down, resurrected Jesus, appeared on the Damascus Road, said, hey, I'm the Christ, let me explain it to you, now go out and preach. But instead, what does God do? The light comes down, he's blinded, he's humbled, and through his experience of blindness, in a sense, he, he kind of enters into the, into, into, he kind of dies to the old life, he experiences Jesus' death. And then he is healed in the name of Jesus through someone doing what? speaking the words of Jesus to him. Saul's conversion is not just a lightning bolt. It's not just a flash of light and all of a sudden he knows everything. Saul is converted through the message of Jesus. Saul met Jesus and it changed his life. He didn't just become a vegan. Uh, He didn't even just uh, have it have a more nuanced Jewish understanding of, of the Old Testament. 
His whole life orientation was completely changed. Every detail of his existence was now focused on Jesus. And so let me ask you this morning. Have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? See, maybe some of you today are thinking, well, you know, like, I don't really need to meet Jesus because I have, uh, I, I'm not really, I'm not hating Christians. I'm okay with them. But the reality the Bible tells us is that although we might not have sore symptoms of, of, of going after Christians, imprisoning them, we all have the same condition, underlying condition, that every one of every human being that's ever born is born with spiritual blindness. We're unable to recognise, unable in ourselves to recognise the true God because not only are we blind, most of the time uh, we intentionally close our eyes to God's reality. We run around closing our eyes as human beings saying, I can't see God, God's not anywhere. I must be God. And so every human being is born with this profound need to have our blind eyes open that we might see Jesus, who he is, that he is God, that we are not, that we might recognise our sin and trust him for our rejection of him. Everyone needs to meet Jesus. Now, does that mean that in order to become a Christian, you need to have a Damascus Road experience? Does that mean you need a, you know, a flash of light, a miraculous thing? No, it can't mean that, because as you go through the book of Acts, you see no one gets converted like that, except for him. So this is a unique experience for this man, the, the light it is. But like Saul, yes, Saul, as Ananias came to him and spoke the words of Jesus, so we, as we hear the words of Jesus, meet Jesus as well. It's as we speak to people about Jesus, as the Bible is read, that blind eyes are open, that people meet Jesus, they encounter him, and they put their trust in him and be saved. So if you have not met him before, then this morning is an introduction. It's an introduction as I'm speaking about Jesus. God sent his son into the world to die to save you. He was raised from the dead to show you that what he did actually came about, that he was who he said he is, that he is the king, he is alive, and he's reigning over the universe. And this morning, whether you're here or online, he wants to open your blind eyes to see that. He wants you to turn and trust him and receive his forgiveness. This morning, will you accept that offer? But if you have met him already, there's two ways, there's two things I want to finish with this morning. One, I want there to be an encouragement. The encouragement is this. Meeting Jesus not only changed Paul in that moment, but meeting Jesus changed the world. Read it right at the end there, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, sorry, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the word of God to the nations. Paul was going to be God's instrument to be the good news to you and me. See, 
if you think about significant moments in your life, some of them predate you being alive, and this is one of them. If you're a follower of Jesus, this moment here, as he is called to declare the gospel to the nations, of which you one day will be a part of, is a massive moment in your life. And likewise, God wants us to, like Paul, be those people that speak about Jesus. That, that enable people, as they hear about Jesus, to meet him, to have their blind eyes open and see his glory, whether it is in persecution, like we've seen happening so far, or in this case, can transform the greatest of enemies. And so that is incredibly heartening. I don't know, like Rod said it last week, in some senses, it's, this is the ultimate expression of what Rod said last week, that there is no one who is outside the grace of God. There's just no one. It doesn't matter who that person is, as hardened as they may seem to the gospel, God can turn them around, not because we are wise or persuasive or good marketers, but because the risen Jesus is on mission. He is doing his work. And so as messy as church life can be, as messy as your life might be right now, as messy, as clumsy as your witness about Jesus is, know for certain that because you have met him, you are now an instrument of him in other people's lives. That's the comfort. But as I, just this morning, actually, as I got up to preach up at, down at Botany, this one line came into my head. And that was this. Kurt... Have you met someone else? <laughs> Have you met someone else? See, when you meet Jesus the first time, it's like, man, it's like, it's like the new boyfriend, new girlfriend. Your whole life, every, set, every part of your life, you realise now needs to be orientated around him. But as you go along, you sometimes meet someone else. It doesn't have to be a person. But it's anything that takes away Jesus being the first love in your life. And so it could be a job. You become so enamoured by your job that it becomes the thing that directs a whole bunch of the details about your life. It could be a person. It could be a boyfriend. It could be a girlfriend. It could be even be your kids. These things become your first love. And so this morning, as we finish up, I think I was challenged this morning, have I met someone else? Is Jesus my first love? Is he the thing that animates me? And so I just want to lead us now in a time of confession about that. Confession on two loves. For some of you this morning, you haven't met Jesus before. You, through this talk, you've, you've met him and you want to confess your sin to him. You want to say, sorry, God, for rejecting you. And so I want to encourage you to confess that to him this morning. For, but for, all of the, for some of us this morning, Although we're excited, Jesus, at the beginning, we've met someone else. He's, he's struggling to be our first love. And so we need to come back and confess that to him. So let me pray. Father God, we just praise you for your powerful gospel, for your powerful message. Risen Jesus, you can change the hardest of hearts. And that is such an incredible encouragement to us as we look at our world and we think to ourselves, there are people who would never become followers of Jesus. That is a lie because Jesus, you can change them in a moment like you changed the Apostle Paul. And so, Lord, give that, help us to have courage with that. 
as we meet people at work, at uni, in our families, that we'd have the courage to speak about Jesus, that blind eyes would be opened. Help us to know that you're the one who does the work, you and your spirit. Let's help us to trust you. Father, for those this morning who have not met you before, I'm praying right now that they would confess their sin to you. They would know your forgiveness and live a new life in a relationship with Jesus. But for us, Lord, who have met Jesus, who were enamored with you at the beginning and who have potentially uh, been drawn away to other things as our first love, Father, we are sorry. I'm sorry, God. We are sorry when things get in the way of you, Jesus, in our lives. When our work does when our, when, our, when our relationships do, when they become more important to us than you, Jesus, we're sorry. Help us, Jesus. Help us to spend the time we need to with you to revive our love, to bask in your love, and to have all our lives directed and animated by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.